Amen. That's a great song and a good reminder for us again. Well, let's take our Bible and turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number 1. And we are working our way through uh, this series, Continue in Doctrine, but we've been taking several weeks to consider the important doctrine of salvation, and we are taking our time going through this. Um, I don't want to just zip through this real fast. Um, I think it's important for us to understand our salvation, to appreciate it, and uh, again, not only just to appreciate it, but to then sh be able to share it and explain it with those around us. Um, well, we have looked at several aspects already, and I don't want to take too much time here uh, to review, but um, just for those who maybe haven't been here for this, first we looked at the problem of salvation. Uh, we talked about the holiness of God. Um, is a major barrier to us getting to heaven. We can't get to heaven um, because we're not holy, and, and He can't even look upon iniquity. He can't even look upon sin. And so as a result of that, we're, we're in big trouble. So the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, and then the penalty for sin, the, the fact is we all deserve to pay for our sin in a place called hell, which ultimately will become uh, the lake. We, we will then uh, be in the lake of fire. Um, so that's what we all deserve because of our sin, and uh, that's big problems right there. Uh, but praise the Lord. Number two, we looked at the provision of salvation. The fact is God did make a way for us to be saved. He didn't have to do that, but because of His love, His grace, He did, uh, through Christ uh, paying the price for us on the cross of Calvary. Speaking of, number three, we looked at the price of salvation. Uh, we talked about uh, the price that Jesus paid on the cross. Uh, it was expensive. Uh, it cost him everything. And uh, it was exclusive. It was the only payment that could have been made for our salvation. And then we mentioned it was enough. It was enough to uh, pay for my salvation, but also yours as well, and also for the whole world uh, if they were willing to come. And so we talked about the price of salvation, then we talked about the process of salvation. Fourthly, we mentioned uh, the past, the moment of our salvation, we were saved from the penalty of sin. No longer will we have to spend eternity in a place called hell. In that moment, our eternal address went from hell to heaven. And then presently, we are saved from the power of sin. No longer as a believer do we have to sin. We are uh, to reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin. Uh, we don't have to, when temptation comes, as a Christian, we don't have to fall into that temptation. And we, the, the, the excuse, the devil made me do it, no longer applies to Christians. Because the devil can't make you do anything. Uh, we're now under a new owner, and the owner is Jesus Christ. And so as a result, we don't have to sin. So we talked about that, and then we talked about future. One day, we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. No longer will there be any more temptation, and I am looking forward to that day. And there'll be no more sin, no more consequences, uh, none of that. Um, that's going to be a wonderful day. But until then, uh, we are saved from the power of sin. Okay, so that's the process of salvation, the prerequisites for salvation, number five. Uh, what is necessary for salvation? How does someone get saved? Repentance, faith, 
And then we took a little bit of time to go through the election of God versus the free will of man, which is uh, muddy waters to be sure. And uh, some, it, it takes a little courage to go into those waters, but necessary because it is uh, definitely something that has a lot of debate and uh, a lot of people misunderstand or they overemphasize one or the other when the Bible emphasizes both of them at the same time. So the prerequisites for salvation, but then we started last, uh, last Wednesday, the promises of salvation, the promises of salvation. And uh, there are many wonderful promises that God has given to those of us who are in Christ, who are saved. And we started looking at those last week. We didn't get that far. <laughs> I'm hoping to get a lot farther tonight. Uh, but uh, we talked about number one, or first of all, that we talked about our new status as a Christian. When uh, we, uh, I mean, it's, it's just pretty amazing that we have been saved and God gives us a brand new status, uh, a brand new start, a brand new status. And we started looking at what the Bible says, what God's Word says about who we are in Christ and what it means to be saved. We mentioned uh, in verse number 1 of Ephesians chapter 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So Paul is writing to the saints there, and he's writing to believers who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and he calls them saints. And you might be thinking, I ain't no saint. Uh, I don't, and, and I'm looking around, I don't see any halos around any one of you tonight. Um, I, there is one over my head. It's because of the glare of the light off of my baldness. That's what you see. Um, so that's that's the uh, that's the benefit of being bald. Is I always have like a halo effect. Um, so anyway, look, we're we're. It doesn't matter how good you think you are or don't think you are. Um, as a believer in Christ, God looks at us not because of how good we are. He looks at us through the righteousness of Christ, and as a result, He calls us saints. And it's like, wow, uh, I don't really think of myself as a saint. Well, again, as according to uh, one commentator, I believe, J. Vernon McGee, who said, either you're a saint or you're an ain't, and I'd rather be a saint than an ain't, uh, because if you ain't a saint, then you're not saved and you're not part of God's family. So we're saints. We, we talked about that. Number three, we, we talked about how we're blessed. We're blessed, or blessed be the God of, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. Verse number five tells us that we're part of God's family now. And uh, again, becoming, becoming part of God's family means that we're... We're going to always be part of God's family. It's not a, it's not a temporary, you know, no one's part of God's family on probation. Okay, well, we'll just see how this works out. And if things don't really work out, then, uh, you know, there's the exit door. No, you're part of God's family and it's a done deal. We're, we're adopted. In verse number five, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. We become part of his family, and it's as if we are blood. Uh, it's it's, it's a, an official title there. It's an official uh, position. And then we're accepted in Christ, verse number six, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. And, and I love that, that, that little phrase there, he hath made us accepted. 
It wasn't anything that I did to cause him to accept me. It was everything that he did on the cross of Calvary that made me acceptable. See, again, his righteousness gets applied to my account. And so as a result, God says, well, I accept you into my family and I accept you. And there's nothing we need to do further to gain any more acceptance. And there's nothing we can do to lose that acceptance as Christians. And that's a wonderful uh, assurance there. And then verse 7 tells us, We have been redeemed in whom we have redemption through His blood. We have been redeemed. He has purchased us. And so um, when, when you consider the fact that you, you go and buy something for yourself, um, it now belongs to you, doesn't it? Because you paid the price for it. And now you have ownership and now it belongs to you. Okay, we have been redeemed, we have been purchased, we have been bought with a price, so we no longer belong to ourselves. Now we belong to God, and so we have an obligation, uh, not in order to get saved, but because we are saved, to serve Him and to give Him our life and to give Him our, uh, all our love is due Him. Uh, we, sung, we sung about that in Victory in Jesus. So we have been redeemed. Um, verse number 7 continues on with this thought, we have been forgiven. We have been forgiven, uh, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the even or the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So we have been forgiven. The past, present, and future sins in our lives are all under the blood. They have all been forgiven, every last one of them. And I'm glad that God promises to never bring them up again. We mentioned that He promises to not remember them. And uh, as far as east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And then we did mention a little application to that. Um, just as God has forgiven us of our sins, we ought then to forgive others of the wrong that they do for us, to us. And in Ephesians 4.32, uh, we did mention that, which was uh, forgiving e uh, one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And so just the same way that God's forgiven us, that's how we are to forgive those who've harmed and hurt us. Um, and uh, that's a truly convicting thought because it's kind of like, yeah, well, you don't know what kind of sins have been committed against me. And God says, actually, I do. And uh, the sins that you committed against me, God says, uh, were every bit as much as what has happened to you. Because when we have broken God's law, it's a slap in the face to the Lord. Okay, so we've been forgiven. We have been sealed. And uh, we talked about that in uh, verse number 13, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom... Also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. So we have been sealed. That's pretty much what we mentioned in verse chapter 2 and verse number 1. We have been made alive. In chapter 2, verse 1, You hath He quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. He has quickened us. He's made us alive. So we are risen with Christ. Okay, so that's where we stopped last Wednesday night, let's get into some new stuff here. Verse number 4 of chapter 2, uh, not only have we been made alive, but we are now loved. 
Now, we were loved before we became a Christian, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But now that we are in Christ, we're part of His family, and there's, I, I suppose, for a lack of a better word, there's a deeper love there. Um, because now we are part of His family. We are loved. It says in verse number 4, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us. Um, again, he, he, we are loved. And I know that sometimes we may feel like nobody loves me. And I've shared this before. When I was a junior in high school, I kind of wasted my junior year in high school. I went to public school, and I really, really desperately wanted a girlfriend. Because some of my other friends, they had girlfriends. And I saw other people in the school, they had girlfriends. Here I was, I didn't have a girlfriend, so there must be something wrong with me. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to, at lunch, sit on the bench and eat my peanut butter and jelly and look down at the ground, hoping that some girl would walk by and say, I want to have compassion upon this young man. He is such a good-looking guy, such a charismatic personality. And so I'm sitting there eating my sandwich, and, and you know how many girls came up to me and asked for my phone number? Zero. <laughs> and I look back at that and say, I would never give that guy my, I mean, or if I was a girl, you know, I would never give that guy my phone number or want his because he's a loser. Here's what I was doing. I was wallowing in the fact that I felt like nobody loved me. Well, I needed to kind of slap myself in the face and say, Eric, somebody does love you, and his name is God. And if you're saved, and if you're part of his family, look, that's all the love that you really need. I mean, yes, I have that desire as a man, as a young man, to have a relationship with a young woman. Uh, that's that God, I know that God put that in my heart, and, but I need to be content in the love of God. And uh, so I know I tell you that story, and I know it's pretty easy to be critical of my 16-year-old uh, self, because that's how I was. And I'm like, why didn't I just get up and just enjoy life? Stop worrying about what I didn't have and being thankful for what I did have. I had the love of God in my life. And so uh, we are loved. And again, our love is not based on performance. God doesn't say, Oh, look at Eric. He got up today and, you know, he, he read his Bible and, and uh, you know, he, was, he spent some time in prayer and, you know, he uh, tried to tell people about Jesus. And, and so I'm going to really love him today. And then tomorrow when it's like, oh, look at, look at Eric. He kind of slept in and overslept and kind of ran out the door and, I mean, didn't even say goodbye to his wife and children and, and, uh, you know, he just ran through the rest of the day, just kind of full speed ahead, didn't really give me much thought. So I'm going to kind of like dial it down on my love for him. God doesn't do that, does he? Um, so he doesn't do that based on our performance. So he doesn't accept us based on our performance. And he doesn't, his love for us is not based on our performance. He doesn't love us based on how lovable we are. Because looking at you, Y'all look pretty lovable, okay? <laughs> but I look in the mirror and I say, you know, sometimes that's not a very lovable guy looking back at me. 
Because I know some of the things that I've done, and I know some of the things I've said, and some of the things I've thought. But yet, God loves me. And it's, he, he loves me not because of how lovable I am, but because of how loving He is. Because in 1 John chapter 4, it says two times in that chapter, 1 John chapter 4, that God is love. It's His nature. So it's His nature to love. It's His nature to express that love to us. So um, as a believer, it's great to just... It's a basic thought that the children, we probably heard when we were in Sunday school when we were two or three years old, that God loves us. But, but we ought not ever get over it, and sometimes we just simply need to be reminded of it. So we're loved. Uh, next, uh, we are saved by grace. We are saved by grace. Um, look in verse number 5 here. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together, that's made alive with Christ, by grace ye are saved. And then verse 8, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So we're saved by grace. And I was, I remember, uh, and, I've, and I've shared this story, I believe, um, many, I don't know, it's been a while now since I've shared this story, but when I uh, was an assistant pastor in California, after one of the services, there was a visitor that I was, uh, the Lord just kind of, I, I, I noticed him and, and uh, kind of just had a burden for him. And so after the service, um, you know, typically we're supposed to, as assistant pastors and staff, we're supposed to try to, you know, greet our guests and things like that at some point during the the, the day and and I didn't get a chance to do that I, I saw him but I never got a chance to say hello so um, I was in the lobby after the service and then uh, I saw him kind of bolt out the side door and I was like oh boy I need to go I want to go say hi to him and meet him so I ran in the parking lot and I and I caught him before he got into his car and I said hey hey I'm one of the uh, I'm one of the staff members here and I just wanted to come by and and, and thank you for coming to the service and and I was going to just ask you this question, you know, um, ha have you ever been saved? And he looked at me and he said, yes, I have. And I said, great. Y you mind telling me about it? And he said, sure. Yeah, when I was younger, I was, I was riding a bike and, and somebody, uh, I, I fell off my bike and somebody, somebody saved me by pulling me uh, out from the ditch and, and they, they got me back on the bike and, and they, saved my, they saved my life. I was like, well, that's good, but that's not really what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about salvation, like spiritually. Have, have you been born again? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I, I, I got to get going, but thank you. And, and so here, here's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about have, have you been, if you're a Christian, being saved isn't just like a physical salvation where, you know, like you didn't die in that moment. Um, we're talking about the fact is we are saved from an eternity in a place called hell or ultimately the lake of fire. Have you, you know, and, and, and I'm, keep, I'm tempted to ask you, have you been saved? Um, I hope the answer is yes. Um, but if as believers we are saved by grace and it's not because of anything we have done, again, um, and, and it says here, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're saved by His grace. And it's good to be reminded that it wasn't anything that we did to earn our salvation. And so let's not go around boasting about anything. The only thing we should be boasting about is what Christ did on the cross.
That's what Paul said, right? Um, I don't want to glory in anything save in the cross of Christ. So we're saved by grace. Uh, verse number 10 tells us we are His workmanship. We are His workmanship. In verse number 10, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So we are His workmanship. In other words, we're... When we get saved, it's not like, okay, well, great, got another one. Let's go find, a, let's go find somebody else and, and leave him alone. No, when we're saved, we become part of his family, yes, but he begins to now work on our lives and to develop us and to work on us. I like the way that Paul puts it in Philippians 1 and verse number 6 when he says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So the moment that he saves us is the same moment he starts working on our lives and, and molding us and making us. And, and one of the things that he's trying to do is conform us into the image of his dear son. So uh, we're, we're, you know... We're kind of like this sculpture that is being chiseled away. Things are being chiseled away and pruned out of our lives so that we resemble more and more the Son of God. And so we're His workmanship that He's trying to work on us. And, and I love that. Um, are we allowing Him to work on us? Another picture that God puts in His Word is um, the clay and the potter. And, and we're the clay, and he's the potter. And sometimes we get it the other way around in our minds. We kind of say, okay, God, here's, here's, you're, here's the mold I want you to fit in in my life. And that's really, we're not the potter. He's not the clay. We're the clay, he's the potter. And so the Lord says, okay, no, 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 I'm the potter, and I want to mold and make you into the image of my dear son. So we're his workmanship, and that's wonderful, uh, wonderful truth there. Then verse number 13 tells us we are made nigh to God. Oh, this is a good one. This is one of my favorite verses. But when you hear me preach and talk uh, about the scriptures, I have uh, many favorite verses, <laughs> um, but this is one of them for sure. Ephesians 2.13, but now, well, we got to get the context in verse number 12, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So it'd be like Brother Gary. Brother Gary, would you mind standing up for a quick second? Okay, Brother Gary and I are, there's, there's quite a bit of distance between me and Brother Gary. But, and, and, and this symbolized, okay, my, my relationship with God, okay, we'll pretend like Brother Gary's God, okay? Okay. You have to use your imagination on this one, okay? <laughs> but there was no way, there was this deep chasm that I could not, I could not, you know, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't reach him on my own. And, and in Christ, 
it, it made it possible for me to get all the way over to him. And now I am no longer, and sorry live streamers, uh, actually you're welcome for getting out of the screen, <laughs> but now I'm made nigh through Christ. Amen. And when there was this distance between me and God that I couldn't fix on my own through Christ and the blood of Christ that he shed on the cross made it possible for me then to get close and to be close to God. Pretty awesome. And, and I'm not doing an amazing job explaining it, but this is a tremendous truth. We are made nigh to God. Uh, ye, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off. And I know some of you might be thinking, that's, you're talking about far out, man? No, we're, not, we're talking about far off. Far off. Instead of that, now we're made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. And we talked about a couple of weeks ago, right? We had that partition here. And when Jesus died on the cross, he, after he died, right, the, 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 the curtain, that veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom, signifying now I can be close to God and uh, because of what he did for us. So we're made nigh to God. Uh, let's go to verse number 19 here in chapter 2 and look, in the fact that, or the, look at the fact that we are made fellow citizens of the household of God. Verse number 19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. So when once you were strangers and foreigners and you didn't belong, now you are fellow citizens with the saints and you are fellow citizens of the household of God. So... That's a tremendous truth there. We are made fellow citizens of the household of God. Then let's go to chapter 3 and verse number 6. Let me kind of get through these so I can get to uh, letter B. Um, see if we can get to letter B tonight. I really had high hopes that we were going to get through the whole the rest of the message, but uh, these are just tremendous truths to just zip through, right? Um, so chapter 3 and verse number 6 we are an heir of God. We are an heir of God. Verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So here in verse 6, there's three aspects. We're made an heir of God. We become a member of the body of Christ. And we become partaker in the promises of God in Christ. So we're an heir of God. That means that I mean, imagine for a moment that uh, your dad is, um, you know, Elon Musk or um, Bill Gates. And, you know, apart from the politics of all that, um, I mean, just the, the sheer amount of money that this guy has, right? Or uh, Jeff Bezos. Again, I'm not condoning any of them. But the, the one thing is true. These guys are loaded, right? And imagine if uh, you were their son or daughter, and like he tells you, hey, by the way, you know, uh, I just went to my lawyer and I tweaked my will, and you're the, uh, the sole benefactor or beneficiary of my entire estate. So, like, when I die, it all becomes yours. So, just a little FYI. 
Okay. Can handle that. Right? That would be amazing. Okay. And, and to a point, it would be uh, to have that type of uh, wealth attached to you. I mean, that, that would be pretty cool. I mean, money at that point becomes no object. I mean, when you, can, when you can purchase companies at the drop of a hat, when you can purchase islands, and I mean, it's no big deal. It doesn't phase you one, one iota. It's amazing. These guys do have too much money. <laughs> um, okay, but still, they are poor, 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 compared to what God has, right? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the wealth in every mine. And we become heirs of God, and, and the blessings that he passes on to us are far greater than any estate that you can think of on this earth. Because these blessings don't... I'm not saying that those wouldn't be a blessing uh, for this life, but that would, all, that, that would be it. It would be for this life. The blessings that God gives his children are not just for this life, but for eternity. And so we become heirs of God. And do we deserve any of those blessings? Absolutely not. We, we, we look, the fact is we're sinners. We were enemies of God. We, we have transgressed the law. And yet in Christ, he makes us his heirs to say, now I want to bless you and to give you all those spiritual blessings that last not just for this life, but for eternity. We become an heir of God. We become a member of the body of Christ. And now we have a purpose and we have a function. Uh, every part of our body, right, has a function. You're like, well, I'm not really sure what the function of my appendix is. Well, um, I, I, I know they've been doing some research and they, they've started to learn what the appendix does. And I don't really know what it all does. Um, but they, they're saying that there, there is a purpose. And why wouldn't there be if God created us to have an appendix there 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 is a and so when somebody says we want to remove your appendix i'm like well god put it there and i kind of like it there um, but if it if it becomes a problem and it needs to be uh, removed then so be it how many of you have your appendix removed okay several hands are up um i i still have mine and i'm kind of good with that i, I kind of like it there but again if it bursts or whatever then you know i want it gone um Anyway, the point is, as a, a part of the body of Christ, you have a purpose, you have a function. Uh, you're, you're not invaluable, you're, you're not unvaluable to the work of God. You're extremely important. And so don't, don't think you're not. And you become a member of the body of Christ and then a partaker in the promises of God and Christ. And there's so many more we could look at uh, here in the book of Ephesians and throughout the New Testament. Um, but let's go ahead and move on here to not only in the promise that we have a new status, uh, but then we have a new someday, a new someday. Again, since uh, in Christ we have been saved from the penalty of our sin, we go from a resident, a future resident of hell to a future resident of heaven. And really, uh, we become kind of a current resident of heaven. We're just not physically there yet. Um, and so, what, what does our new someday look like? Well, uh, one day we will have a glorified body. Let's turn to uh, 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 2. And let's look at this one here. 1 John 3 and verse number 2. 
Here John says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. So we're going to have a glorified body just as Jesus had a glorified body after his resurrection. And so when we uh, read through the uh, gospel accounts at the, at, at the tail end of those gospel accounts, there's uh, uh, instances where the resurrected Jesus shows up just like out of nowhere. He just appears and then he vanishes. Evidently, we're going to have the same ability. Um, I don't think we're going to, I mean, we're not going to get sick anymore. I mean, COVID is not going to be a thing anymore. I went to the doctor uh, yesterday and I had my blood drawn and I didn't have anybody to hold hands with. <laughs> I know, I, I'm pretty brave. <laughs> and I didn't even get a lollipop afterwards. Uh, but uh, glorified body, we're not going to have to have needles stuck in our body. No more dentists. Come on on that one. No more dentist bills. Um, uh, no more sickness. And uh, it's, it's, it's kind of neat. I, I do love the fact that Jesus in the resurrected glorified body um, was still eating. Right? Because he was over there at the, uh, he, he was eating broiled fish and honeycomb. And uh, so that's my proof that, hey, when we get to our glorified body, we're going to still get to eat sweets. Um, so I'm thankful for that truth. And uh, I do have some uh, honeycomb cereal at home that I'm kind of prepping myself for that. Okay. I know. Not funny. Not that funny. Um, but we're going to have a glorified body and sickness and cancer. All of those things will go away. There'll be no need for blood tests. There'll be no need for doctors. There'll be no need for dentists. There'll be no need for any of those things. And, and we will have a glorified body that can actually pass through walls. And uh, I'm kind of looking forward to doing that. That'll be kind of neat. Okay, we'll have a glorified body, but then next we'll have a glorious home. Revelation chapter 21. Let's, let's turn over there very quickly. Let me uh, just cover this, uh, the rest of this uh, letter B here, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. And we'll, we'll hit the next uh, part next week, uh, the product of salvation. But, uh, so we're going to have a glorious home. Uh, Revelation 21 uh, goes through this and explains what this glorious home is all about. And this is after the great white throne judgment. Okay, so in the, in the timetable... Um, the next thing on God's timetable is the um, rapture of the church, and that starts the seven-year tribulation period. After the seven-year tribulation period, then Jesus comes back and rules and reigns with us, uh, the New Testament saints. He will come back with us and will rule and reign with Him for 1,000 years upon this earth. After those 1,000 years are expired, then Satan's going to be loosed from heaven, or from hell, I'm sorry, and um, he's going to deceive the nations, and there's going to be this big, uh, organized um, attempt to overthrow God and the people of God. And in one fell swoop, uh, fire from heaven comes down and destroys them in a very nonchalant way, it seems like. 
Because um, if you go to Revelation 20 and verse number 9, they went up on the breadth of the earth, compassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So there's this huge attempt to try to overthrow God and the people of God, and the fire is going to devour them. And the devil is going to be cast in the lake of fire, finally, forever and ever. And then at that point, the great white throne judgment is going to happen. Okay? And then, after the great white throne judgment, then we come to Revelation 21, verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There was no more sea. And I, saw, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So now he's going to describe what this New Jerusalem is going to be like, and this is where we're going to reside forever, okay? And, and, I, and I know we talk about heaven and everything. Uh, technically, uh, we're going to reside in this New Jerusalem. This is the city in which we're going to reside in. And verse number 3 says, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, uh, so no more funerals in this uh, new Jerusalem. Uh, no, neither sorrow, uh, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And then let's go ahead and jump down to uh, verse number uh, 10. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Had a wall great and high and had twelve gates. At the gates, twelve angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, south three gates, west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. So it... Many people believe that this New Jerusalem is a, is a giant cube. I mean, we kind of, are, are, the way Earth is now and the way we reside now, we're all kind of on a flat surface, on a flat Earth. Oh, I'm a flat Earther. Okay, no, I'm not a flat Earther. Okay, but the, the idea is we're all on this, you know, living on this planet, but uh, the New Jerusalem is going to come down and we're going to be in this cubed um, which is like 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, and 1,500 miles high. And this is the city in which we're going to reside in. Okay, and verse number uh, 18, the building of the wall of it was of jasper. The city was pure gold like unto clear glass. Foundation of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, and it goes on down. Um, pick it up in verse 21. Twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof, and the nations of them which are saved 
shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall in no wise enter in into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then verse chapter 22, we won't go into it, but there's a, uh, there's a river, and uh, there's a tree, and all of that. Um, it's going to be amazing, and to really, you know, say, what is it, what is it really going to look like? I don't, I don't really think that the, the Bible is going to give us more than what He's already given us here in Revelation 21. I mean, that's pretty much it. In fact, um, James Packer in his book, Your Fathers Loves You, said this about heaven. He said, we know very little about heaven, but I once heard a theologian describe it as an unknown region with a well-known inhabitant. And that is not a better way, and there is not a better way to think of it than that. Richard Baxter expresses the thought in these lines. My knowledge of that life, that life in heaven, is small. The eye of faith is dim, but it's enough to know, or but it's enough that Christ knows all and that I shall be with him. And so while I can't give you every detail about our life in heaven and what it's going to feel like and what it's going to look like and what we're going to be doing, all of it. I can give you some, some, some snippets of what I believe, um, but the point is we're going to be with Jesus. <laughs> and that's going to be what makes heaven for me. It's not going to necessarily be, ooh, look at the crystal sea, and let's go hang out there and go fishing in it. And uh, maybe because it's crystal, go ice skating on it and play hockey on it. Okay, that's what I like to think, but that's probably the furthest thing from what we're going to want to be doing at that point. We're going to be one of worshiping the Lord who gave himself for us and allowed us to be there instead of the other place that we all deserve to go. So we will have a glorious home. And again, I'm not going to get into all what, 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 what does it mean, all these things. I, I don't know exactly. Um, I, I know there are some guys who've studied it and, and have come to some conclusions and I don't know if even they're, they're, they're right or not. Um, the point is, we're going to be with Him, and that's all that really matters. So we'll have a glorious home, and then we will have a great purpose. And last, last thought, Revelation 4. I said, uh, this is one more snippet that I'm going to give you of some of the things that perhaps we'll be doing in heaven. Revelation 4. And verse number 10 now, this is the throne room of God, um, chapter 4 and verse number 10. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, it doesn't say that we're going to be doing this per se, but I believe that that is going to be what we're going to be doing is, is worshiping Him that liveth forever and ever. We're going to be worshiping Him. That's, that's going to be our great purpose in heaven. And you say, well, that sounds kind of boring. Aren't we going to go, like, when is this going to be over? I, I really don't believe anybody's going to be feeling that way. They're going to be like, this is, this is what I was created for. And this brings me true joy to worship Him and 
Because when we've had those moments in our life or those seasons in our life when we're really truly worshiping God and, and for who He is and, and we're just enthralled with His person and His character, um, that's, going to be, that's going to be in perfect purity that we can't totally experience here on this earth because of our sinful nature that is still there. Um, our flesh that we still dwell in still... Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, when you've uh, um, cut off a snake's head or something like that and the rest of the snake keeps moving. Uh, the snake's dead, but those nerves are still going. Well, we've been saved and our flesh still has those sinful tendencies that, you know, still kind of perk up from time to time. When we're in heaven, those, those sinful tendencies will be completely eradicated. And we'll be able to worship Him in complete, uh, completeness and totality, and it will be awesome. And uh, it's hard to explain. Uh, it's hard to put our, wrap our heads around because we're, all we know is this, this realm now, but when we get there, it's going to make perfect sense, and we're going to have a great purpose. So um, the promises of salvation, we have a new status, and we have a new someday. And uh, I'm looking forward to that day, but until then, I'm going to be thankful for my status and for the promise that I'll have a glorified body, a glorified, a glorious home, and a great purpose. And come back next week, we'll finish this up with the product of salvation, and I will try to get through those fairly quickly.